Coming up on this week's show, we loosen up with Max Walker. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 213 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and birthday boy, Will Knaus. Hello, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. So, yes, there's some birthdays this week. Happy birthday to my husband, Will, who is celebrating on Monday, November 4th. Happy birthday! Aw, thank you so much. I was told I could not sing to him on the podcast, so I shall avoid doing that. I think that'll be best for everybody anyway. Thank you. <laughs> I think I think 47 is a very strange year, in part because I have gotten to the point where I need to do the math to remember how old I am. It's only taken you this long. I've had to do the math for a very long time. <laughs> and plus, there's also the very strange thing is that I have thought I've been 47 for like the last two years. For some reason, I have the hardest time remembering what age I actually am, and I always land on 47. So it is now finally true. And I also think it's a very odd year because 47 sounds like it's something you would lie about. Like (laughs) like when you turn 50... And you want to like convincingly tell people that you're younger than you actually are. You're not going to say you're like 42 because that would be ridiculous. No one's going to believe that. But 47, that's far more plausible. So I think it's a very, it's a very odd age. I, I, we'll see, we'll see what 47 holds, but I have no idea. I think 47 will be a good year. I had no idea you thought you were that for the past couple of years, but I hear what you mean about the math. I like it's. I've reached a point now since I've been over 50 for more than a year now that at least I know I'm past 50, so I can use that as a benchmark for all things. At least I can still remember what year I was born so that I can do the math. I haven't I haven't gotten like totally senile just yet. Well, that's good. Then don't do that either. Perhaps fast approaching, but <laughs> we'll, as I said, we'll see what 47 brings. So uh, a much younger birthday that's happening also this Monday, November 4th, is that this podcast turns four and begins its fifth year. So happy birthday, Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I feel like we should throw confetti and have noisemakers. There's a bit of a a (laughs) noisemaker. I think the, the podcast's fourth year has been a particularly milestone filled one uh, for the show. It's like, a whole bunch of stuff happened between getting curated to the Apple Podcast Pride list and becoming hashtag Oprah certified on the 21 best book lists and, uh, you know, getting into the Frolic Network has all been really super cool. I'm going to put you on the spot and I told you I was going to do it. Do you have a favorite moment from the past year of, of show? Um, Not a specific moment. Um, I think... Now that we are four years old, I have come to appreciate the show more. Uh, I think it's something I kind of realized when we were at GRL this past October, 
is that um, I think we're exceedingly lucky to have this show and the opportunity to do what we do, meaning, you know, talk about books every single week and talk and engage with really amazing, talented authors every single week. Um, It's kind of special. And I think (laughs) as we've been doing this now for four years, I'm finally coming to realize that, yes, it's not something everybody gets to do. It's something very unique. And I'm very... I'm very proud of the work that we've done in the last four years, and I am looking forward to even more. Yes, I, I would agree with everything you said. And most of all, thanks thanks to all of our listeners and everybody who's been on the show and will be on the show in the future. We couldn't do this without all of you. So thank you for being with us for four years, and we look forward to hanging out with you for several, several more. Indeed. Now, this week also started NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. Uh, We hope if you are trying this year's endeavor to write a novel in 30 days, or with whatever your NaNoWriMo goals are, that you're doing them well and you're succeeding so far, uh, we are doing the challenge, both of us this year, and you could follow along with how we're doing over on Big Gay Author Podcast. You could find the show at biggayauthorpodcast.com. We're also doing live Facebook broadcast Monday through Fridays with our updates. You'll find those at 9 p.m. Eastern time, which is also 6 p.m. Pacific. And you can find those at facebook.com slash biggayauthor. Hi, I'm Jay from the LGBTQ romance review blog, Joyfully Jay. At Joyfully Jay, we review tons of LGBTQ romance, as well as romantic fiction and nonfiction. We review eBooks, audiobooks, and even the occasional movie. We typically review about 18 books a week, so Joyfully Jay is a great place to hear about new releases, catch up on books you may have missed, and find some new favorites. In addition to our reviews, each weekday we host an author as our first post of the day. This gives readers a chance to learn more about new releases, get exclusive excerpts, find out about the author, and participate in great giveaways. Each author post on Joyfully Jay is exclusive, so you get access to book and author information you can't find other places. At Joyfully Jay, we love LGBTQ romance and are excited to share it with you. Stop by the blog at joyfullyjay.com. You can also visit us on our Facebook group, The Joyful Jays. We'd love to have you join us. So we do have a few books to talk about this week, and I am going to kick it off with... I can't believe I haven't read L.A. Witt to this point. I'm a little embarrassed by that, but I have taken the leap on one of her books, and I was so excited to do so. Now, with Layla Rain's Fog City series, I took that dive into a romantic suspense series where one of the romantic leads was a guy on the wrong side of the law. And I'm in it again with Blood and Bitcoin by L.A. Witt. This is the fourth book in L.A.'s Criminal Delight series, and I'll say up front that there was nothing missed by reading this as a standalone. Here we find Chris Emmett, who is a former SEAL and former FBI. He's known for being a lone wolf, and that gets him in trouble because his superiors don't appreciate someone going off on their own, even if it ultimately gets the job done. There are those in the Bureau who think his talents can be of use, though, so he's released from prison and put into an op. He doesn't question it too much because following through and getting the guy means getting his badge and freedom back. The assignment seems straightforward enough. Find out who wants to kill Piker, the leader of the Hive, which is a crime syndicate that operates on the dark web and deals a lot in cryptocurrency, primarily Bitcoin. 
Piker is every bit the modern-day crime boss. He's surrounded by a team to protect him and leading a life where nothing is quite what it seems, especially the split between the crime boss and the legit business owner. Even the morals and legality of the hive rapidly become unclear to Chris as he locks in a spot on the security team. Piker is an intriguing individual. There are so many, many, many secrets going on with him. It's impossible to describe how Piker operates without spoiling something in this book. He definitely treads on the edge of right and wrong, but the line around that moves so much in this book, too. The question of who is out to kill him is a baffling one. There are certainly people outside the hive who would benefit from the instability his demise would bring about. But then there's the idea of it being an inside job, too, and that weighs heavy since there could be people looking to make a power grab. L.A. has constructed an amazingly complex and wonderful storyline here. Who wants Piker dead, and what will they gain? Is what Piker's doing wrong, or is it just a necessary evil of our society? And what of the legit side of his business? There are so many incredible layers to the story, and poor Chris has a lot thrown at him as he unravels everything to a pretty unimaginable conclusion. You have no idea how much I'm actually not talking about in this review, because I want readers to gasp as much as I did when the revelations roll out. I had no idea how twisted this story could get, and I loved every single minute of it. One particular aspect I very much enjoyed were the dark web and cryptocurrency technology element of the story. Now, I think it's pretty well established here that I'll really grab onto anything that uses technology in its thriller plot, and this one did it so well. And I finally learned some things about Bitcoin, which I have to admit, I haven't always been clear why anyone would choose to use that method of currency. These elements, while they highly entertained me, I don't think they would actually get in the way for anyone who didn't care about the technology aspect. LA only gives you what you needed for the story, and so that's going to keep it grounded for folks who aren't on the techie side of things. And let's talk about what a hot romance simmers through this book. Through almost the entire story, Piker and Chris don't quite trust each other for a myriad of reasons. And Chris has never even been attracted to men before, but there's something about Piker, both the masculine side and his feminine side, which often is, at, is on display. This draws Chris in. How he discovers this through spying on Piker with the cameras he's installed is some pure voyeuristic hotness. Beyond the physical attraction, because realistically he shouldn't be falling for Piker at all since he's tasked with protecting him, causes so much play here with the bodyguard trope. It's so very, very good. And talk about sizzling hot sex. Oh my, once they end up going for it, Piker pushes Chris, albeit gently at first, to explore his boundaries. And the more these two go at it, the hotter it gets. The final act of this book was a harrowing ride as Chris and Piker have to decide how much they ultimately trust each other and how that trust level is playing out with everyone else who's around them. L.A. writes wicked good action scenes, too. The stuff that went down in this book was in the end, in the final fight scenes and everything, just had me turning pages like I was watching an action movie. And as with all my favorite suspense books, I didn't figure this out until L.A. revealed everything at the end, and it was nothing like what I could have imagined. I will definitely read more of L.A.'s brand of suspense because I love how she told the story. Kudos, too, to Michael Furiello. 
for his narration. I've never read one of his books before, and I have now become a huge fan. I totally get why L.A. uses him all the time. He managed a large cast extremely well, and with some characterizations that I really can't go into here because, once again, it's, it would get into the spoiler factor. Let's just say he was stunning. So if you want great, a great work of romantic suspense with some cool cyber elements, action, sizzling sexy times, and some bodyguard tropes, pick up L.A. Witt's Blood and Bitcoin. Cool. Yeah, I have to say, to, to, to qualify the tech a little bit more, I don't think the tech in this book would have bothered you. Because uh, it's just it's layered in just enough to keep you going and, and not to make your head explode about why did I just read all that. Cool, that sounds good. <laughs> so you've got a couple things for us. What are you going to kick us off with today? Well, a couple of weeks ago when we were on Smart Podcast Trashy Books, I mentioned that I was reading Safe Harbor by H.J. Welch. And when I described the book to Sarah Wendell, she was like, oh, that's some tropey goodness. And um, yes, it certainly is. I love this book from beginning to end because it ticked off so many boxes for me. Yeah, as I recall, I think she said that it was good enough for uh, trope bingo, I think. <laughs> exactly. So the story revolves around a guy named Robin. And he and his best friend Peyton are looking for a roommate. They live in Seattle and they need the extra income in order to afford their teeny tiny apartment. Things aren't going well until they discover straight ex-Marine Dare. He seems like a dream come true and turns out he ends up being the perfect roommate. And so they're all getting along really, really well for a couple of weeks until one day Robin is bemoaning the fact that he's going to have to return to his small hometown to go to his high school reunion. Not because he doesn't want to see his family and friends, because that means he's probably going to run into his ex-boyfriend, a guy named Mac, who was a total psycho, emotionally abusive jerkwad. So Peyton comes up with the brilliant idea of having Dare essentially escort Gort Robin back home. He can sort of serve as a buffer. He doesn't really need a bodyguard, but you know, if he pretends to be Robin's boyfriend, that'll definitely, you know, keep Mac at arm's length. So, being the nice guy that Dare is, he willingly agrees. And off they go back to Pine Cove. Along the way, they have that brief road trip and they get to know each other even better. And Robin continues to realize that not only is Dare like the nicest guy possible, he's also a genuinely good friend. When they arrive in town, uh, Robin's family immediately falls uh, in love with Dare because who wouldn't? He's big and strong and nice. He wins everybody over. Uh, And as they spend more and more time together, they realize that these feelings of friendship might be something more. Of course, there's the wonderful trope that they end up uh, staying at the family house and sleeping together in Robin's old room. So the cornerstone of any fake relationship story is the moment when our two main characters have to address the elephant in the room, whether the the fake relationship that they're perpetuating is actually genuinely real. 
eventually, Jer and Robin comes to terms that they probably want to be more than friends with one another. And when they end up sleeping together, it is amazing for both of them. Robin finds it hard to believe that sex could ever be this good. And Dare, who's never been with a man before, is like, oh my god, (laughs) this was amazing. Why haven't I done this before? (laughs) So our two heroes are happy and schmoopy and totally in love. Unfortunately, Mac manages to squirm and manipulate his way in between our two heroes, especially on the night of the town funfair. There's a carnival where he kind of gets close to Robin and sort of plants the seed of doubt in his mind. Like maybe Dare is just a straight guy trying to sow his gay wild oats and it won't be long before he returns to women, that kind of thing. Which seems really stupid when I explain it right now, but the way that H.J. Welch uses the Mac character as sort of a a horrible, emotionally manipulative douchebag um, is really quite admirable. He's a horrible, horrible person. And uh, unfortunately... Robin begins to fall for it and doubt his feelings, or, well, actually, he doubts what Dare might actually be feeling. So the night of the big reunion finally arrives, and our two heroes are sort of questioning the sort of jump that they've taken to be actual boyfriends. When Robin finally sees Mac for who he really is, understands his true manipulative colors, and after a near-death experience on a rickety boat on the middle of a lake, um, (laughs) Robin realizes that Dare is, in fact, the one for him. There's a wonderful little epilogue where we flash forward a couple of months where Robin and Dare have started a brand new life together in Pine Cove, and it is sweet and wonderful and everything I could ever want in a super-duper tropey romance. You don't have to say, because it could tread on spoilery material, but I really hope that Matt gets punched in the face by Dare. That's just my own personal hope and all that. <laughs> he gets his comeuppance, but good. Um, good. <laughs> the, the second book in this series features Robin's flamboyant friend, Emery, who's one of the really wonderful secondary characters that we encounter when our heroes return to Pine Cove. And I'm really looking forward to that story as well. Uh, I think this was a fantastic book to kick off this small town series. Quick note, I listened to the audiobook and it was read by Nick J. Russo. He does a wonderful job. And so I highly recommend Safe Harbor by H.J. Welch. Cool. It's nice to see you getting back into your contemporary happy place after the October full of paranormal. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm so glad that this was the very first book I've read by H.J. Welch. Um, This author has been in the biz for Uh, a couple of years now and has written some very popular stories. So I'm glad that I have finally taken the dive. Excellent. So real quickly, I also want to mention that something else I read this past week was a really delightful graphic novel called The Secret of the Carrot Medallions. This is by Catherine Dare, and it features her two adorable little pride bunnies, Skip and Pip. I didn't even know they had a book out, so I'm really excited to hear what you had to say about this one. Yes, this is their very first full-length adventure, and it is an utter delight. One day, Skip and Pip are sitting around, and they're marveling at the fact that a story about a bunny has hit the bestseller list. And they think that their story might make an awful nice novel. 
But Pip thinks that it might be a little bit boring. So why doesn't Skip make them into pirates? So that's what he decides to do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, The Secret of the Carrot Medallions is the book that he wrote. And it's about Pip, who is a Royal Navy officer. And he's tasked with investigating the infamous pirate Skip. And he gets a job sailing on the ship. And he soon discovers that they aren't the bad kind of pirates. They're the do-gooding kind of pirates. <laughs> As I would hope they would be. <laughs> exactly. They love to do good deeds and help people in need. And while they are sailing together, Pip falls for Skip. And they eventually have to find a way to always be together and sail off into the proverbial sunset. What's really funny is that after the pirate story, we learn a little bit more about Skip's life as a published author. It's really, it's, uh, it's utterly adorable. And I highly recommend everyone check it out. As we are heading into the holiday season, if you happen to have friends or family with children coming over, if you had an edition of this Skip and Pip story handy, I'm sure it would entertain the kitties. It sounds like an utter delight. Well, we've certainly run the gambit for you today from cute, adorable graphic novel to tropey goodness to a little nefariousness on the dark side over there. <laughs> so if you're interested in learning more about the books or anything else we've talked about in this week's show, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 213 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. Please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I am so super excited by this week's interview. I've wanted to have Max Walker on the show since way back when I read the first Stonewall Investigations book. And I'm so happy he was able to join us this week. We're going to talk about his latest Loosen Up, get into all those Stonewall books, and also find out how Max was once supposed to be a doctor. Max, thanks so much for coming to the podcast. I'm so thrilled you're finally here to talk to. Yes, thank you for having me. So everybody knows that I love your Stonewall Investigation books. And we're going to get to talking about those in just a few minutes here. But you've got something new out right now called Loosen Up, which is part of the Aces Wild series. Tell us all about that. Yeah, so Loosen Up, um, it follows Jordan and Brody, which were two of my characters from last year's Heart to Heart anthology. And so the way they kind of came about was we got uh, reader suggestions for names and traits and all that kind of stuff. And Brody and Jordan came out of that. And I loved writing their story a year ago. They went off on an adventure in uh, in the savannah and ended up uh, saving a, an elephant from being poached. And it was like super, super cute and super amazing. And I just had such a fun time writing them. So I figured now would be a great time to bring them back um, for Aces Wild. And so now we're picking up about two years after they first met. And Jordan's just been like super stressed at work. His nine to five is just brutal. He hates it. And so Brody ends up making a surprise vacation to go to Miami to go, you know, relax, rest, have some uh, pina coladas. And then um, they end up getting on the plane. Jordan accidentally eats an entire edible brownie, which you should not do on a plane. <laughs> um, and then they find out that the plane is actually headed towards Vintage Ridge, North Carolina, which is the complete opposite of Miami. 
And so then they kind of have to like figure out, okay, well, do we go on this vacation? Do we kind of like just cancel everything? Um, they end up just going with the flow, which is kind of like what I really wanted to like get out of like the main message. Just kind of like sometimes life, you know, throws random stuff at you and you just kind of have to go with it. And it ends up being even better than kind of like how it was planned originally. So that's what they end up finding out. Um, the vacation ends up being, you know, exactly what they needed. They meet Ace and Wilder, which was such a blast to write because they were already kind of like constructed characters. So it was cool kind of jumping into their heads and like trying to fit them into this story. And it was it was a really fun, fun experience. So they go meet Ace and Wilder. They pick up a a few things at their shop um, and they get into a bunch of hijinks. I really wanted like a romantic comedy kind of feel for it. So I think I just like really channeled like kind of like bridesmaids type of thing, like full bridesmaids, Kristen Wiig, like in the back of my shoulder, just whispering the entire time. And even on, on the top of my like Google Docs, I had in like bold letters, think rom-com. And so that kind of like kept me on track for, for their story. And that's how Loosen Up came to be. What's it like developing characters the way you did for these two? And then not only the reader suggestions for that, but then to drop them into another universe as well. Yeah, it was it was a little bit more challenging than I thought. I mean, thankfully, it was the last anthology was kind of a short story. So I did go back and read it and, you know, try to get into that headspace again because it was kind of like a year ish or so. So if it were a longer story, I think it'd be a little bit harder to fully kind of immerse myself in there. But and since they clicked so well in the first story, like there wasn't, you know, too too much angst or anything or um, and they just kind of flowed really well. It was kind of easy to like, pull them, pull them back, back in and kind of drop them in that world. And I think that kind of made it funnier because they were kind of, you know, these two lost Canadians that just had no idea where the, the hell they were going. And then they kind of just had to make it make it a good time. And so I think that kind of like added to it, too. How did you get involved in Aces Wild? Um, I was thankfully invited. I got my little Hogwarts letter in my Outlook email, and I was like, "Yes, of course." And yeah, I mean, it was it was really good that I said yes because it's been such a good project. Like, not only have the authors just been great, like the books, there's something for everyone. I mean, there's like I think 13 of us, um, if I'm not mistaken, and literally, you know, there's a different kind of palette for every single person. And on top of that, we all chose our own charities to donate to. So it's kind of like spreading out the goodness. My Loosen Up is is the first 90 days are going to the Los Angeles LGBT Center, which I'm super excited about because I used to walk by their building all the time. And I'm like, now I can finally like give back to you guys. And so it's been a really good, good experience. And you've been giving back another way, too, because you just did the AIDS walk as well. Yes. Yeah, I did. That was the first time we ever did it. Uh, we got like a big group of friends together and we walked downtown. Thankfully, the weather was perfect. It was really energizing. Like there were so many people on the streets. Um, we raised a good amount of money and it was really, really exciting. So, yeah, this is kind of the season for it, I guess. I mean, it should always be the season for charity. But, mm -hmm. yeah. It's, it it's great to see your readers giving back both through supporting you on the walk and, and picking up loose enough yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And even even for the walk, like I wasn't sure what to kind of expect. So I set my, my fundraising goal at, at 300 and in like a few hours I had to bump that up because people were being so generous. And I was just so blown away because, you know, it's for such a really great cause. And I'm glad that I was able to 
you know, be a part of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Now, Stonewall Investigations and its spinoff of the Miami series. I mean, what was the origin of these super popular books? Uh, the origin. Um, I mean, I wish I had like a cool origin story. I, I wasn't <laughs> like dropped in a vat of ass or anything. But let's see. I was finishing up my uh, Sierra View series, which followed a group of doctors in a hospital. And so I kind of knew I wanted to do like a, like an office space kind of thing. I knew I wanted them linked through the office. Um, and for, I mean, eight books, I think before I did Stonewall, I had eight books out. Um, and they all have like a little mystery element to it. And so I thought, okay, well, I kind of want an office space kind of romance. And I also want to incorporate the mystery. A detective agency would be literally perfect. And so I came up with that kind of core idea first. And then I kind of tried brainstorming names and stuff. And thankfully, it didn't take me too, too long to to land on Stonewall Investigations, which I mean, once I like thought of it, I was like, okay, this is like, that's it. It's done. And then from there was Zane and Enzo who kind of like kicked it all off and they started the whole the whole journey um, with Zane's hunt for the unicorn and then Enzo just falling in love with him and it just kind of carried on through that. Yeah, I don't have like a crazy origin story, but it was I'm very happy about it though. Yeah. And then you decided to spin off to Miami. How'd you decide on the Miami location? Um, well, I'm, I'm from Miami, kind of. I was born and raised in Jersey, and then I moved to Miami when I was 14. Um, so I kind of got like half and half. And so every every Christmas, we fly back to Miami, and we always, you know, visit family and stuff. So it was kind of, it was, I wanted to like visit that place in my books. And I kind of wanted to go to the Miami Beach and have that like kind of like, you know, Ocean Avenue kind of feel with the neon lights and the Art Deco and and I thought there was going to be a lot to play with, too, because um, Miami is such a big city and there's so much going on. Like, I knew there would it'd be a good place to set it at. I did kind of want to do, like, how NCIS, you know, kind of does, like, NCIS LA, NCIS New York. So I kind of wanted to, like, follow that avenue. And I thought Miami would be, like, would be it. So I went from New York to Miami, and then we'll see what's next, I guess. <laughs> and you can certainly tell you know the places. Like, you, the way you wrote the, the New York books, I knew exactly where you were in those settings. Yeah, I try. I definitely, I mean, it's a lot of Google Maps, too. But I, oh, did, sure. I, did, visit, I did visit New York a few times. And, like, while I'm there, I'm just trying to absorb everything, like taking pictures of random street signs just to have them on my phone. Like, I'm sure some of that kind of like seeps in and I try to be very kind of like, like I'm writing a movie almost. Like I want to make sure everyone is seeing what I'm seeing and just living in that, in that scene. So I'm glad it, it worked out for New York for sure. How do you come up with the thriller aspects of these? Cause I mean, you created some pretty twisty turns with the unicorn. I mean, that was some pretty hardcore stuff there. The unicorn, I knew I wanted a four book arc for it. So I knew who it was going to be and I knew why they were doing what they were doing. But I didn't really have like the in-betweens. I didn't have all the red herrings. I didn't have like I didn't even have books two, three or four plotted. I just had book one when I thought of the unicorn. So in that sense, I kind of just um, I had, you know, the big tent poles and I kind of went along with it. So with that, it's kind of like just sometimes it surprises me too while I'm writing. But with the smaller ones, because in each book I do also have another mystery running underneath it. Um, those are a little bit 
more kind of planned out and I kind of like have beginning, middle and end for those. Um, but not all the time. Sometimes I do jump around um, and I'll have, you know, I'll be in chapter 20 and I'll think, oh, maybe I can drop a clue now back in chapter four about this. So I can go and do that. Or sometimes I'll even like, I just don't really get married to like the plot outlines I do. Um, so I think that also keeps things fresh. So if I, I think of a better twist than one that I had planned out before, I, I'm not scared to go ahead and change it. Like I'll just go ahead and and make it, you know, even twistier. <laughs> I'm fascinated by the idea that you didn't have more of the unicorn series, I guess, or the, the plot of that planned out when you did book one, because it all came together so well in book four Thank to you. bring it down to those final, you know, tense things that happened throughout that book. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I like, I knew like some of the big, big clues that were, they were going to have to kind of flow through all four books. Like I knew those specific clues, but yeah, a lot of other things I kind of figured out along the way per book. I mean, once I got into book two, then I figured out a little bit more and then book three, so-and-so. Do you think we'll go back to New York for more or is, is that story kind of done? I don't know. I, I haven't even thought about that until now. So maybe, <laughs> I think you just sparks. This is an origin story. This is it. This is this is a good origin story. I do want to visit other cities. I, I'm wrapping up Miami now, so it might be New York. Well, if you go to other cities, I mean, you think about how NCIS and you know CSI and all those shows do it. They get two or three or four cities going on, and then you get the epic crossover. Oh, that's true. So, okay, yeah, I have a like a big superhero crossover. I'm liking how this is going. Okay. Well, there's the origin story for later. Right. <laughs> right here on the podcast. <laughs> At least it's on camera. We got proof. We got proof of it. That's right. How much research goes into your thrillers? Like, what do you have to know? We were talking to... Uh, uh, an author at GRL who said, well, he has to learn how to burn bodies Oh, <laughs> <laughs> to be yeah, able to put that into I've his book that you haven't burned a body, at least not that I've read so far, but like, <laughs> what goes into getting your thrillers to, to work, work well on the page? I, I haven't Googled uh, burning bodies yet, <laughs> um, but I have, I've Googled some weird stuff um, like medication and like, um, like what'll, you know, knock someone out that I remember thinking like, should I type this into my computer right now? Um, but other than that, I don't, I, I researched a lot about how uh, private detectives worked and what their kind of like daily, daily lives are and, um, what their, you know, what their job, uh, responsibilities are kind of, but for the cases, I don't get too into the weeds with it. I don't try to like, I try to just get, you know, the essence and try to go from there. Um, and also I don't really, I don't try to get too gruesome or anything. So anything that would kind of require me to like stretch and research a little bit more, I, I don't think I do. I watch a lot of Criminal Minds and like a lot of like, I just finished My Hunter, So that's probably a good, it seeps in that way. It you mentioned, I mean, we've heard, we've talked about two different genres here between your rom-com side and your thriller side, and you've got some contemporary romance in, in your backlist too. Do you enjoy any one particular genre more than the other or? 
Um, uh, I love them all. I can't. Let me. Hmm. I really love this rom com that I wrote. I, I don't know if I. I mean, I probably can pull off a full size book of it. I didn't. Yeah, I don't know. I love them all. I do love the mystery element because it does add like a little layer. Um, and for me, it's fun. Like I love puzzles. I love trying to like figure things out. And in a way, it's kind of like the opposite. Like I'm just messing up this puzzle and you know hoping someone else can figure it out. And so I find that really fun. And even in all those stories, like the romance is still like the star of the show. Like it, it wouldn't happen without the the two main the two main guys. So I think I think romantic mystery right now would be my top. How do you work to balance the the romance with the mystery side of it so that it all flows nicely? It's yeah, it's a little complicated. Um, I I just try to like I guess see it as a full picture and if I feel like okay this he's investigating for too long where's the other guy like why haven't we seen them together for a while like I, I'm very aware of that so I'll try to like put push them together somehow or if maybe they're on a date and someone spots you know someone that they want to investigate and then the other one kind of comes and gets like dragged along so then you get like both of them in the same scene together and kind of working off each other so I try to play off of uh, those kind of things and never keep them away for too too long and yeah i just try to try to make sure that nothing's overwhelming the other because it, it's it definitely can happen i mean especially like if the mystery is just like you know if he has to interview like three different people and you want to get those interviews down on page well then maybe you don't have to do the two interviews on page you can kind of like make him talk to the date about two of them and then you can kind of like balance it out like that so yeah, it's it's definitely a juggling act, but it's fun. I like it. <laughs> and is there a genre you want to pursue but haven't t taken the plunge on yet? Um, fantasy. That's what I like. Grew up on like I just devoured Harry Potter, uh, like Anne McCaffrey, the Dragon Riders of Pern. I would read constantly. Um, R. A. Salvatore, like all those like big fantasy books. Although not so much high fantasy, which. I used to read a lot as a kid. Um, more so now, I would love to do like a, a gay romantic fantasy or just like a gay like a gay Harry Potter. Like I just really want, I really want that. So I think I think that's definitely in the pipelines for sure. I just love dragons, and a gay <laughs> dragon would be like really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Does anything hold you back from necessarily starting that, or is it just a matter of where it fits in your overall? scheduling maybe i have started it <laughs> um no it, it breaking is very, news right here perhaps <laughs> <laughs> it's very schedule dependent like i, I want to make sure i get the stonewall books out and then um whatever else i had planned but i have been i've been world building on the side and like oh, I have that's a cool stuff yeah so it's been it's been cool i have a big like resource list thing that i've been looking at and so yeah, I've been working on it side by side, but I haven't been able to like fully dive in yet. Yeah. Podcast listeners know that I am I, I admire people who take the dive on fantasy because there's so much world building that yeah. you as the author need to know that you don't necessarily need to tell every bit of to your reader and like where the balancing mm -hmm. act is on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to like info dump them in the first paragraph about like because then people get bored and they want to read that. Yeah, it's hard, but it's also fun. And I, yeah, I love having like those little tidbits in the back of my head, like oh, this is gonna pop up later. Oh, you know, maybe like you said, like the readers will maybe never know about this, but it's kind of cool that I do. 
I look forward to seeing what a Max Walker fantasy looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so I'm going to make you do origin story again. What got you started yes. writing? Um, I guess, well, like you probably, like I wrote since I was a kid, like back when I was, I don't even remember, like one of the first, I was thinking about this the other day, one of the first books I ever like wrote books, I say that. Um, it was just like a, a black journal with black pages. And then the pen, I'll never forget, like wrote rainbow. So I don't know why my parents didn't realize back then. <laughs> um, but I, I remember being in my grandparents' house and I was writing a story about a cow in space and I like drew the cow and I like had this entire like story about it. And that was like the first ever story that I remember writing. Um, but then after that, obviously it grew into way more like when, when the internet came about, um, I still wasn't in high school yet. And I had found like, uh, role-playing boards, like forum role-playing playbook post or whatever. And they were like fantasy boards. So one of them, I think it's still around. It's called Illyria. Um, you make your character, you have like, you like, you're in charge of the inventory of all that kind of stuff. And then you just kind of jump in on people's stories and you reply and they reply. And I was like 12, 13, like I looked back at the post and it was like, there's no like space after the periods. Like I had no idea what I was doing. And I was just still like, oh my God, I'm so happy. Um, and I would like go to school and I'd be so excited just to get home to see what like people would write. And so that kind of like kicked it off. And I was just super excited to write all the time. And then another thing that came with the, the posts was that I would have to like spend so much time on Photoshop because we would make like little layouts for our posts and I wanted them to be like cute and bright and poppy and stuff. And so I think that kind of like helps now too, because I make my own covers. So that's kind of, it all kind of went hand in hand from just that long section of my life where I was just like constantly, constantly in this world. And then once high school came around and then college, it kind of got a little bit less and less because I was writing for school and reading for school. I was supposed to be a doctor. I was supposed to go to medical school. And my I was told my mom since I was like little, I was going to move to L.A. just for like a year. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I graduated college. The time came and she obviously didn't believe me until <laughs> I graduated. And she's like, wait, you're actually moving? I was like, yes. And so I postponed um, medical school for to move to L.A to try out to be an actor because that was always my dream for some reason i never like even though i was reading constantly and i was always writing i never thought like oh i could write a book because i never had I, w I always just wrote like little stories and so it never like clicked for me until like three or four years being here in la um no medical school thank god um <laughs> and uh i was working a day job and the day job was really great like they let me go out on auditions but it wasn't that many auditions like i'd have to go you know once a week drive you know 30 40 minutes into town and drive back to try and make it in my one hour lunch break or whatever so i was trying to figure out ways of like you know getting out of this day job and then i found self-publishing and i the entire world opened up to me basically like i would just spend all day at work like reading these posts like trying to like figure out like wait you know people are like actually doing this like this is incredible so then that's when I started writing and even at my desk job I would just write um, between phone calls I'd like pick up the phone hang up write, and then back then it was very short story oriented so it was I was still writing like the short form but I did notice more and more traction more and more traction and then I was able to give my uh, 
two weeks notice and then it was weird because the last audition I ever had was on my last week of work and then after that I never got sent out which is totally fine with me because I was way more happier than I ever could be like just doing what I wanted to do so it really worked out really really well and I'm yeah I'm like super lucky did the almost medical school lead you to do the medical series of books (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> it was definitely an influence. Um, I definitely, because a lot of my friends, they're, you know, doctors now um, after eight years. <laughs> they're just finishing now. Um, and so in college, like, I was part of a pre-medical group or whatever. And, like, yeah, so it was a lot of, it was very much right what you know, kind of. Um, I shadowed a lot of doctors. So I kind of, like, went down that route. But then detectives, I mean, I'm not. I don't know any detectives, so <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Well, some things are allowed to just pop up out of nowhere, right? Exactly. How do your parents feel about Max the the writer instead of Max the doctor? <laughs> it took them a little while, I think. Um, they love it, though, especially just now, like this past September. Um, we went to go visit and I like, I revealed my pen name for the first time cause they hadn't known. I was like, you never read anything I'm writing. Don't even like open a book. Cause I'm like, I don't want you reading these like four letter words that I'm writing. Um, <laughs> but I did let them know my pen name and they're like super proud and happy. And I, I think they, they know that what needed to happen happened for sure. That's good. And now they've got a son who's a best selling author cause you've had that orange ribbon on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And yeah, they, they also are very proud of that, too. Yeah. Yeah. You make your own covers. We don't hear that a lot. Um, how did you take the leap to do what everybody says an author shouldn't do and make your own covers? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess that it goes back to me, like, spending so many time, like hours in Photoshop. So I kind of, like, I think a lot of authors are intimidated by Photoshop because it is, it's scary. It's There's a lot of buttons going on. There's a lot of things that you can, like, change and stuff. Um, and even when I first started, my my fiance, he's into photography and he's like a really great editor. And so he helped me kind of like fine tune the colors and stuff um, in the very beginning. And then I kind of learned the tricks from there. So even when I first started, I still didn't know, you know, everything there was to know about Photoshop. And I still don't know everything there is now. But I did um, I did really enjoy it. Like I like kind of like cons- putting them all together and like picking the colors and the font and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like a different aspect of, of book writing that I think is, it's really captured my attention. And thankfully I, I, I know how to do it. So it kind of like works hand in hand. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely something that's, that's come in handy for sure. And like I said, I can kind of like control like the brand a little bit better. Like I, I, I won't feel bad about going to a designer and be like, Oh, can you change this? Can you change this? Like, I'll just change it myself. Right. Um, so in that aspect, it's a little easier, but yeah, it is. So it's another side to the job. That's for sure. Have you done your covers since the beginning? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. I'm a little jealous. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's, 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 I mean, it's definitely like I'll spend days looking through like I still haven't gotten um, uh, specific like photo shoots done for my covers yet. So I'll spend, you know, very long time looking through uh, stock photos. And there are some very interesting stock photos that I'm like, why is this uh, on here? But once um, that's another aspect to it, like picking a, a photographer and like all that kind of stuff. 
that I, I, I will get into soon, probably my, my next series for sure. But yeah, I really I, I like making my covers. Is that something your fiance could help with since he is a photographer? Would he take potentially the photos for you? I need to I need to start cracking that whip. There's, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, I'm missing out on some stuff here. And yeah, he's such a great photographer. Like it's crazy what he's doing. So yeah, hopefully you'll have a you'll see an Armando Morales original on on my next cover. How did you decide as you were getting into the writing that gay romance was your space to be in? I just I really connected with it. I I. I don't know what happened. I think I just stumbled upon it and I was like, wow, I really want to write this. And so I, like I said, I started off um, short stories and then I did the the Guardian series, which was, um, which kind of like kicked it all off for me. And it was just these two men that were, you know, bodyguards and just trying to like, well, the first two men were um, FBI agents, but it, it, it just attracted me. Like I loved the fact that I could also play with action and adventure, which was something that I was really, or really am into. Um, so if I could throw a car chase in there, if I could throw like a boat chase, like that, <laughs> that works really well. Um, and I am also a huge romantic. Like I love romance and I love like, you know, Hallmark movies and rose petals everywhere and stuff like that. So it was really kind of like a, it clicked together really well. Any particular author influences on what you're writing now? I read a lot of different uh, authors, a lot of different genres. Um, right now I'm reading The Ninth House by Leigh Bardugo, which is an adult fantasy book that's got me like hooked. But like I'll read like um, Adam Silvera's work, uh, Stephen King. I was going through a bunch of his stuff. Um, and I'm not like a huge fan of horror, but for some reason Stephen King like kind of like really sn- snags me. Um, so I read him, um, and a lot of people in our genre, like Riley Hart, Devin McCormick, N.R. Walker, Jacqueline Osborne, like there's so many like crazy good authors that it's just, you can't even choose like what's influencing you. Like it's all like just a full well of, of goodness. And I think that's also important too. Like if, if you're not reading widely, then I, I don't think, um, you can learn as much. And I, I always want to be learning. Like I always want to try to like make my next book better or like try to figure out like how I can make it better. Um, and I think by reading and especially, uh, like reading actively, like just kind of like making sure you're paying attention to, Oh, this is an interesting way that the author wrote the sentence or, Oh, this is like a cool paragraph or the flow of this is really cool. Like I think picking up on those things really helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I certainly find that to be the case too. Mm-hmm. just to sort of break things down as you go. Sometimes I get too caught up in the plot to break them down and I have to go back later. <laughs> yeah, that's a good sign. <laughs> so what's coming up next for you? What do we have to look forward to either as 2019 closes out or as 2020 comes in? Um, next up is going to be my my third uh, Stonewall Miami book. Um, right now I'm thinking it's going to be called His First Surrender. Um, and it's it's wrap it's i mean i wouldn't say it's wrapping up but it's it's coming out to be a very interesting story it's going to be a little bit um edgier i guess than my last ones um there's a special room that our detective rocky hudson has in his house that people are going to be interested in and also rocky hudson the detective he's kind of um he's very closed off and like uh 
colder than a lot of my other characters, which because I kind of try to veer more towards the warm side of the spectrum. Um, so it's very interesting going into Rocky's headspace and like having that wall even even higher than than some of the other walls I've had in the past. So uh, yeah, it's gonna it looks like it's gonna be a good book. So stay tuned. Very cool. And uh, how can people keep up with you online so they'll know when that book is coming out and everything else on your on your plate? Yeah, you can friend me on Facebook, Max Walker. Um, I ha- also have a Facebook group. And then on Instagram, Max Walker Writes. I'm really active on Instagram. You can probably, it's just like a little photo album for me, so you can just check all the stuff out there. Um, and Twitter, Max Walker Writes. Very cool. We will link to all those things and the books we talked about in the show notes so that everybody can find them easily. It has been so awesome talking to you and and getting some of the history on all these books and uh, look forward to reading what's next in the Stonewall series for sure. Yes, thank you so much for having me. This was my first podcast interview ever, so I'm so happy it was here with you. This week's interview transcript is brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And thanks again to Max for hanging out and talking with me for a little bit. I very much enjoyed the discussion and certainly look forward to diving in finally on the Stonewall Miami series so I can catch up as he is preparing that third book. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his Christmas stories. Um, they're utterly delightful and it is November everyone we're heading ever closer to holiday season uh, I'm gonna have some Christmas books coming up to talk about very soon yeah I'm starting to read a Christmas book myself so I can <laughs> join you in the Christmas palooza coming up <sighs> tis the season guys all right I think that'll do it for this week's show just a quick reminder that we couldn't do this show every week without the help of our super fans on patreon the support of our community helps with production costs and ensures that this show is accessible to everybody if you're curious about what kind of bonus material we deliver to our patreon community members every single month just go to patreon.com slash big gay fiction podcast now coming up in episode 214 marshall thornton stops by to celebrate the 10th anniversary of his boys town series I love celebrating with authors when they have a long run like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ten years is so incredible to be running the series. We're going to learn about uh, all, everything about the series, including the 13th and final book that he's working on right now. And just as a reminder, as we wrap up, Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more podcasts that you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.